Um, I'm I'm fair. I'm vaguely familiar with you guys. Welcome to episode number 29 of the Disaster Dads. Thank you very much for joining us. We're happy to have you here, whether you listen to us on your drive to work or your drive home for work or just in the basement with a nice bottle of Chateau something something. Uh, we're happy to have you as one of our loyal listeners or a really expensive bottle of whiskey that, or, or yeah, it was that whiskey, Dan? Scotch, Jesus. Scotch. I can't read. It's really tiny. Uh, anyways, so, 17 years. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, my name is Eric, and I have the the dads. I have Dan, Joe, Rob, and Frank. I have a couple guests with us as well. I'll get to them in just a sec. But if you want to find out more about Disaster Dads, make sure to visit us at disasterdads.com. Check us out on the Twitters at Disaster Dads. On Facebook, uh, we post on Facebook. Uh, it's at Disaster Dads. We'll try to do a little we have more an account we have an account we have a facebook we do, account we do something with it so we'll be be working on that uh we and hear then, it's the next big thing it's coming along uh and then if you have any questions that you want to send us directly the dads at disasterdads.com we do have an email account that occasionally will work so you can hit us up there but i'd recommend the facebook or twitter we're a little more active with that all of that being said uh for episode number 29 we have not one we have two special guests, and hailing from the uh, from Texas, we have third time, possibly fourth time, because I think it's the fourth time that you've been on. We have Robin joining us again, because um, I was looking back, I think you are about four times on the on the show now. So uh, you've gone beyond the just the guest status to official uh, ghost dad status. So thank you very much for joining us again, Robin. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm in that guest starring role now, huh? This yeah. is like featuring Robin in the credits. <laughs> Special guest star. Yeah, so we'll have to give you a new a new shout out, come up with a new sort of credit line for that. But we'd also like to thank Robin for getting our second special guest because they're both very special but he's never been on the show so he is specialer than robin today i'm just going to say because yeah, it's yeah. his first time on the show uh, uh michael walter thank you very much for joining us uh, michael uh, works with the houston office of emergency management and we're really excited that you are here uh, and glad that you answered robin's phone call when he said hey i'm doing a podcast would you mind joining these guys so thank you very much for joining us no thank you for having me so first off, um, I know we the I'm getting a lot of looks from the dads, so everyone's got lots of questions. But we'll just start off with uh, we'll start with you, Michael, since you are a very special guest, not just you know a special returning guest. But how's everything going for you? Are are you and your family okay? Is everyone doing all right? Yeah, unfortunately, we are one of the um, over probably hundred thousand uh, Houston area residents that did get water in our home. So we've got quite a few. Um, uh, things going on throughout the area um, and uh, in our home specifically we had about we only had about uh, two to four inches of water depending on the house but uh, it doesn't really matter because at that point you have to rip everything up and all the cabinets come out and the drywall has to come out and everything so um, I've been really lucky uh, to have a lot of support from uh, my church Houston's First Baptist um, big church here in Houston but they sent just teams of dudes to come in and, and rip out our sheetrock and help us with the flooring. So uh, we finally kind of got everything really squared away today. Wow. Um, and that's what we're, uh, we're, we're, we're blessed to have that, but it is definitely impacting us right now. 
Well, well I'm, I'm glad everyone's okay. I'm sorry about the house, but you know, that's, that's something that can be fixed and repaired, but it's amazing that they've sent a crew already over to help tear it out. They've probably working, mm-hmm. working more than, you know, 24 hours a day, just sending people around. Did you do know, did they bring people in like through the, the network of churches from other States? Do you know if they brought anyone in? Yeah. So the North American mission board, which is um, kind of the missions arm of the Southern Baptist church uh, has a whole team that is dedicated to disaster relief. So they did bring in volunteers from across the country. Um, but then also a lot of what they do is they mobilize the local churches. So, um, you know, there were uh, uh, in my neighborhood is very diverse. I have a lot of, um, uh, Vietnamese only or Chinese uh, only or Spanish speaking only um, uh, folks within our, our our neighborhood. And what was really interesting is the church that was working to the house to the right of me and to the left of me was a Vietnamese Baptist church. And so we actually they were able to find people to, uh, uh, you know, who are able to speak the language and communicate with some of the residents who who may not have uh, spoken English as a first language. Uh, one of the other things that I um, I always am super impressed at is the Mormons. Uh, the LDS church has um, these volunteers and, you know, these, a lot of them are, are blonde hair, blue eyed, and they're speaking fluent Spanish. And that's because all their missions in uh, South, South America. So many of them are, uh, you know, are fluent in Spanish. And so it's really helped us out in a lot of these flood responses, having that as a resource for us as well. That's awesome. But it's really cool that they do that. And I know we'll probably talk a little bit more about that as, as the episode goes on. Um, uh, and then, Robin, like, is are you and the crew okay? Everyone doing all right? Oh, yeah. we're. I mean, we we're really fortunate. Um, we're kind of where we are in the middle of, middle of a neighborhood that we lucked out that we really didn't get high water um, in the area. It was, it was the neighborhood next to us and the neighborhood to the side of us. Uh, but fortunately not ours. Um, so, so we were fortunate. That's kind of, I mean, Michael, I don't know if you agree. This is kind of how Houston went. It was almost subdivision by subdivision, depending on yeah. where, you know, some of these bayous and tributaries were, what was going on with street flooding. You know, you could have one subdivision completely gone and the next one right next to it, just fine and dry. Yeah. A lot of it has to do always in Houston is where the water falls. It's not so much mm-hmm. uh, really the whole city is prone to flooding. It just depends on where that those accumulations happen. So with Harvey just stalling out over Victoria the way that it did and just throwing the bands of rain, we were seeing a lot of impact really all over the city. So it really just depended on on where that band in that moment fell and how much time it had to drain. And for the most part, we just did not have enough time to drain. And that's. Yeah resulted what in, in final, what we got. What was the final rain count in terms of inches that you guys got? Robin, I think it was what, like almost 60 in three days? Yeah, it was like 60 in three days, and it really depended on where you were. I mean, what like the Kingwood area got like upwards of 50-something. If you were down closer to, to uh, the Wharton area, which is like southwest of here, on the road down to Corpus Christi, they, they were getting closer to 60. Um, but then some areas of town got, you know, only 20 inches of rain, which is still a massive amount of rainfall right. in just a couple of days. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it also depends on the, the denseness of the environment. So mm-hmm. Houston being a concrete jungle, there was, there was no retention. It was all running. And so as a result, we ended up with a significant amount of, of just runoff hitting some of these communities. Many communities have never flooded before and were taking on two, three feet of water. So it really, it was, it, it, 
you know, in previous flood events we've had um, in uh, Memorial Day of 15 and then on our what we call the tax day flood of 2016, uh, we had certain areas of the city that got damaged. In this this event, we had from Kingwood to Clear Lake to West Houston, all the way out to where I live in, in Cyprus. It didn't matter. The whole area uh, just got pummeled with, with rain. And so this really just spread a lot of the, the damage out across the entire metro area. What was crazy is kind of the way the rain spread coming in um, when Harvey stalled was by the time the the upstream, uh, you know, river areas were trying to drain out. That's when those downstream into the ship channel and everything like that, where everything drains into and then into Galveston Bay and the Gulf of Mexico, that was getting hit. So there was nowhere to drain to. So everything just kind of backed up. Um, so areas, I remember there's a, there's a small tributary out by us is something, something, something or other run, um, that is dry 364 days of the year, except for one heavy rainstorm. And next thing you know, it's on TV and they're having to do a swift water rescue out of a guy that was stuck in his vehicle there yeah. that the water was up over his hood. Right. I mean, from, so that was, and that was just common across the city. You can buff that out though once it dries out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Carmax. I hear Carmax will take anything. Um, <laughs> not that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, not I'm that. Not, I'm not gonna... But if you have mice in your car, Carmax apparently will take that. I'm not speaking from really from experience. I'm just saying. <laughs> or snakes. Yeah. We've we've just heard about that. Now, I've only heard. From our anyway. perspective, we kept seeing the Washington Post article that kept saying, you know, this is what it is and trillions of gallons of water and this is what it looks over. For someone who actually lives in Houston to see that map that had, you know, 3.1 miles by 3.1 miles by 3.1 mile, like, cube of water, uh, how disturbing was that to just see? I mean, it was shocking for those of us that don't actually live there and fully understand all the geography. But for someone who drives through it every day and, and knows it intimately, was it just amazing to see? <laughs> So for me, what I can say is, you know, I'm a Southern Californian, so I'm used to a, you know, variety of landscape. You have the mountains, the the deserts and the coast. And, and, you know, for us, if we got heavy rain, it would all channelize and run through a canyon. In Houston, that's not how it is. So for us, the water kind of meanders and it drains slowly. You have very little geography to kind of get the, the water moving. Um, so for us to see rainfall totals like that and just for the amount of uh, rain, the, the thing that it really got to us is not so much, um, you know, the stats like the I think they said something like uh, the amount of water that fell on Houston could power Niagara Falls for 15 days yeah. or something like that. That was, yeah, that was the stat that they threw out for us. That wasn't really uh, uh, as big of a deal as much as just hearing the the stories of where people were flooding and and what was going on uh for us it was uh we were we were literally watching people try to tweet at our agencies to try to get help because 911 was so backed up sure so to hear you know for people to get to the point where that they're most they're just trying to hit every single channel our 311 our 211 all of the systems were backed up because everybody was just trying to get trying to get rescued and uh i think it was the thing that's going to live with me the most out of this event not so much you know the stats of of how much water fell on our area i think it got to me when uh jeff Lindner got on uh with the don't go on don't go into your attic go onto your roof yeah um 
you know, when, when they started talking about that, I mean, that was every neighborhood. It just seemed to be getting hit at the same time. And it was just the rain just never stopped. Once it kind of started on Saturday night, it just didn't stop. Um, mm-hmm. And after a while, it just kind of psychologically started to get to you. Well, anyway. what was weird for us, what was really weird for us was being in the EOC. So our emergency operations center is on the second floor of a building that can withstand a category four. So, I mean, we're not hearing anything. We're not really seeing anything. We're in an interior space. We're watching everything through cameras. We're watching everything through media. And we're watching everything through the automated rain gauges. So for us, it got to a point where we were, we, I literally, I think third or fourth day, I was like, I need to get out of this building and I need to go out and see what's actually happening because you're almost, it's almost like you're watching it. You're, you're watching all of this happen on TV as opposed to really experiencing it. And so for me to, to get out and to see roadways underwater and to see, you know, vehicles stalled out. And then for me to pull into my neighborhood and have to get in via canoe, uh, was the only way I could get to my house for three or four days. Uh, That was, that was what was the most, uh, the the most shocking thing for me. How long did it take for the water to recede? from your neighborhood? So it took about a week and a half uh, for the water to completely leave the neighborhood. So our house was underwater probably for about three days, maybe uh, only about an inch to, to two inches. But as it, as, as it went on, so we we're on the backside of the reservoir. So them opening the reservoir was helping alleviate some of the flooding from our area. But what it was doing was then flooding the people downstream yeah. in, in the Buffalo Bayou. So we've had a lot of back and forth. The Army Corps has had to really try to, they really had to try to balance, you know, how many homes do we save downstream versus upstream and, and all of that. So they, they I think I, I got to give them credit because that's, they were kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. It was like they were either going to flood our neighborhoods and, and allow the water to back up, but they also had to be releasing water to not only, you know, save our neighborhoods, but also to preserve the integrity of the dams. And so that was that was a hard decision that they had to make. Yeah. That, I mean, where do you even get, go from there? I mean, there's so much to unpack there. But one question that I had was that you talked a little bit about just sort of getting information in and out of your operations center. And one thing that I think is really interesting in disaster sort of operations now versus even 10 years ago is how many different ways people have of contacting the government, right? You've got your phone, you know, you've got your traditional 911, 311, all of that. But now you've got Twitter, everyone has a Facebook page, people are both receiving and putting out information, agencies are receiving and putting out information via social media. So how did you guys sort of try and balance that and and figure out the best way to connect with with the population having all of these various channels at your disposal so to be honest with you it got really overwhelming um i had a team of about five or six pios in a room that were monitoring and we were monitoring not only our agency mentions but we were monitoring situations we have pre-designated lists of different agencies that we follow things so like i have a a hurricane list. And so it's following, you know, the flood control district and the toll road authority and all those different accounts to see what they're saying. And kind of as we do our informal joint information system, and then we move to a more formal joint information center. And so for us, it it, it was really hard. It, It got to the point where we were, we were starting to just write down addresses that we were getting on Twitter 
and and trying to get call slips generated on them because we knew that we at a certain point had a responsibility to make sure that we at least that our first responders at least knew what was going on. We did try to proactively message and say we need you to call 911, but 911 had a whole a ridiculous hold time. Um, the 911 stat from that 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 day, which I think that was Saturday, was the bad day. I don't even know. They all run together for me now. Um, <laughs> But the, the bad day was uh, we, we fielded in this, just the city of Houston. So this doesn't include everywhere else in Harris County. But we fielded 56,000 911 calls in one day in a 24-hour period. That's the, the, daily, the daily average is 8,000. So that's an idea of what we were dealing with. Uh, we had to do some proactive messaging. I think Harris County sent a, a WEA um, on everybody's behalf, basically saying reserve 911 for emergencies only yeah. because it was getting to the point where people were calling and saying, my car is flooded. I got out, but it's in the intersection. I need a tow truck. Like that's not what 911 is for. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, as Robin alluded to, we literally had people in their attic trying to get away from flood water. So it was, it was really hard um, for those, those 911 call takers. They had they, we had bunks set up. They were sleeping in hallways um, for you know a week at a time. I, I was lucky to have an office, but we had we have all our nine one one call takers. All the folks that surged into the EOC were all sleeping on the floor or are sleeping on cots on the you know in the hallway uh, for like a week at a time. So it was a it was a lot of work by a lot of people. To what extent? I, I just a quick follow up on that, Eric. It was to to what extent did you guys see misinformation coming out? on social media that you had to counteract maybe even not like maliciously, but just people saying, Oh, I heard they're shutting off the power in this neighborhood or something like that, that you had to respond to. So a lot of it was, some of it was generated in truth, but then a lot of it was just people being people. Um, there were, there was a rumor for instance that, so we set up a, a large congregate shelter at the George R. Brown convention center. And um, if you're not familiar with Texas politics and the way it's kind of standing right now is that there are a lot of pieces of legislation out there uh, that are aimed toward cracking down on illegal immigration. Uh, one of them is a sanctuary cities bill that, uh, you know, basically if a, if a law enforcement agency fails to enforce federal immigration law, then, you know, they could be stripped of their funding and things like that. So there's been a lot of, of talk that way. And so one of the main rumors that came out was, if you go to the George R. Brown, you're going to, you know, they're going to check your papers. And if you are, um, you know, undocumented, then you are going to be deported right there from the shelter. So for us, being a city of immigrants where you have mixed families, you have, you know, the three members of the family are, are you know, legal, uh, legal residents or citizens, and then one member is undocumented. That means that all four of those people now are in limbo because they don't necessarily want to go to a, a congregate shelter. Yeah. So one of the things that the mayor did, he came out kind of, you know, full full guns blazing and said, basically, that is absolutely false. Um, and he even said in the press conference, which I think the city attorney like swallowed hard on, if if uh, any of you gets uh, arrested and deported from the shelter, I'll represent you myself. So <laughs> I remember that. He, yeah. he came out hard, and and the other thing was what helped us was having uh, Hispanic fire and police chiefs as well that were able to address uh, particularly the Hispanic community um, in Spanish on live television. So yeah. having the reassurance from them and and Chief Acevedo and Chief Pena are, are uh, known 
quantities across the city. If you know anything about Chief Acevedo, he used to be in, in Austin. That man loves social media. He loves the spotlight. He is, he's, he's made for it. And so everybody here knows him. And, uh, and that, was, that ended up working out really uh, in our benefit on the messaging side to try to counteract some of that. Uh, we also had to work with um, Customs and Border Protection and, and um, ICE because, you know, when you're talking about search and rescue teams, we literally had Customs and Border Protection pulling people out of buildings and off of roofs. They weren't there to enforce immigration. They were there to save lives. Uh, we actually had some um, Homeland Security investigations teams on a boat up in one of our neighborhoods, um, and they people were taking shots at them. So we had to work to try to communicate with the public that, you know, there are there are federal agents out there that, you know, the, there was a rumor that there were some imposters and, and this and that. So we had to try to analyze what was rumor and what was just misinformation and then try to counter it with that information. The best way to do that really is so through social media. Um, because of the nature of how the message spreads through social media is that for us, if I tweet a press release out, Chances are the media get a hold of that press release through my Twitter account first before they get it through the email that I sent them. Yeah. So that's kind of the nature of how all that's working now. That's very crazy. Yeah. No, no. So do you Robert, think on balance? Oh, go ahead, Rick. Sorry. Ah, thank you, Dan. Uh, doing my host privileges here. I wanted to find out, Robin, with all the different uh, centers and hospitals that you guys had, how did you kind of manage all of those different groups? Because some were probably being hit harder than others because – it's a large campus spread out over a large area. Like how were you managing just on, you know, we heard how Houston was kind of managing the larger scale of things, but you know, what did, what did you guys have to do for your, uh, your hospitals, Robin? Well, we could, we did kind of the same thing of setting up a joint information center, uh, that Houston OEM did in Harris County. Um, and our, uh, PIO, she has a team. I think she, she commandeered all the, uh, hospital-based PR people and, and pulls it, you know, pulls them into her team when we hit a disaster like this. So she had a team of, I think, eight or nine, um, just constantly scouring, uh, you know, pulling up things like TweetDeck and things like that and scouring social media for rumors because we got a lot of the same, uh, we didn't run into the same things about, you know, customs board, but we we're having to do the same thing with rumor control about yeah. our hospitals being open or not open or, um, if you can come, you know, what, what kind of what was going on? Cause there was a lot of misinformation that was being put out there. Yeah. Um, and we were having to deal with some, some things we had never seen before that caused some, uh, let's say, you know, rumors in the media about, you know, Coast Guard landing at some of our hospitals or, um, folks that were being evacuated out of, out of neighborhoods, uh, dropped off at our hospitals because they were safe spaces. Yeah. Um, but knowing that we weren't really, we weren't an evacuation, we, we weren't set up to be an evacuation point. We were trying to do patient care. Sure. Uh, so it was trying to balance that, you know, are these people supposed to be here, not supposed to be here? And how do we make sure in the, in, you know, social media world, people know what our role is and what we should be doing. Yeah. Well, and related to kind of how the hospitals fared and stuff, and you were just dealing with patient care, I think almost two years ago or something, you and I were talking about some of the stuff with, they got the Katrina hospitals where they had, you know, in New Orleans, they had the generators and stuff on the basement level and areas that normally wouldn't have flooded that they didn't expect to get flooding and how hospitals were trying to re 
redesign, not necessarily redesign, mm-hmm. but rethink where they put some of those backup generators, those kind of things. Did you guys, did everyone come out okay? Like everything work as it was supposed to within all of your centers? Absolutely. Yeah. What was the, the interesting thing to me was reading the um, armchair quarterbacks that were, you know, somewhere high and dry in, in Los Angeles or Dallas or somewhere like that talking about, well, why didn't Houston learn the lessons of uh, Katrina or Sandy? Um, we did. We, we had implemented the things that we had learned in Allison back in 2001, um, and we stayed dry. The, the you know um, tunnel protection system that we put into the Texas Medical Center worked because the, all the hospitals coordinated together to put their um, flood protection in at the same time. Um, the one that y'all probably read about in the area was Ben Tob, um, which is the other major level one trauma center. Um, and they, they had water in their basement, but that was from a pipe bursting internally, not from external flood water coming in. I mean, it was just, it, it's, you know, kind of a bad thing happening. Um, that was not covered by insurance. If up, the water came in, insurance would cover it, but a pipe bursting, that's not covered pipe, by insurance. Pipe bursting, yeah. What can you do about that? Um and so, you know, our the, the entire uh, health infrastructure for Houston worked. We, we lost one facility um, that was a convenient care center that was still under construction in the Kingwood area. Um, and they had just massively historic flooding there that came out of the, the Lake Conroe. Um, and there was kind of nothing you can do about that. But all of our hospitals stayed open. They stayed operational. We had one that we preemptively uh, evacuated um, from flood concerns from a river that runs right behind it. Um, but at no time did they actually get water in their facility. Yeah. So that was more of, of a patient safety leaning forward thing as opposed to, you know, we were in danger of anything or, or we had really uh, alarm. Yeah. Well, and so I think was, what also was, we, what we saw with Ben Taub was um, I, I, so co-located with our EOC is the Regional Catastrophic Medical Operations Center. Mm-hmm. So they're responsible for coordinating the medical response for 25 counties, including the Houston area. Um, so uh, that's where Robin and I met when he would work in the CMOC. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, so one of the things that I was handling, I was helping them handle some of their media because they were getting questions about Bentob and that kind of thing. And I think what was really was really important was for us to tamp down some of the the hysteria related to the Bentob evacuation. So for us, we we had to be very clear that the Bentob evacuation was a long-term evacuation, which means it wasn't going to be done. It wasn't like we were throwing people on gurneys and and rolling them out onto boats. And that's not what was going on. They were, they were being transported, but they were being transported maybe a block, block and a half. Um, you know, the most critical patients went to either Herman, Memorial Herman or, or you know, St. Luke's or one of the other hospitals. They, they all worked together. There was a plan in place if they had to evacuate a hospital that, that we were able to transfer all of these patients to participating institutions and that we were able to track them. We knew exactly where all those patients were. So a lot of the, the things that we learned from, uh, you know, Hurricane Rita was a, a disastrous evacuation. We put a lot of stuff into place. Uh, for that to assist the the medical community and the general population evacuation um, to be able to to handle this and it worked and you know these are lessons that I think um, that that are good to to relearn we're going to go back and see what we can do better but a lot of it worked exactly as it was as it was planned 
obviously planning for a hurricane is one thing you've got to get your resources in place and and things like that but what when when meteorologists in the Washington Weather Center started saying that this storm was just going to sit over the Houston area and wasn't going to move and dump this historic amount of rain what extra planning did you guys have to go through to 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 compensate for that go ahead michael yeah okay yeah, of course he's going to kick it to me yeah. uh, so for us so normally our protocol for expected severe weather expected high water is to pre-stage assets so we did that we pre-staged high water vehicles we pre-staged uh evacuation boats and swift water rescue assets we also normally pre-stage barricades well with a hurricane you can't pre-stage a barricade because if you put a barricade somewhere it's going to end up two miles somewhere else right. so we, what we ended up doing was having to pre-stage the barricades at facilities nearby but not particularly at the intersections like we would normally do so that was a little bit of a game changer for us um, the other thing was looking at our capacity for for mass care and shelter so for us, initially, you know, we have about two or three different places we open as, as shelters during severe weather. This is heavy rain and flooding is unfortunately part of life in Houston. So we do this quite a bit. We have these agreements in place. The Red Cross knows exactly where the city is going to be setting up, you know, shelters, those kinds of things. Having to pull the trigger on the George R. Brown and, and going from, you know, having to maybe shelter 300 families to having to shelter, what was it, close to 10,000? It was like 9,000 some odd people yeah. at the, the maximum. That's insane. You know, you're, you're talking about scaling up to a massive, massive level. And it became very apparent towards the last few hours as the rain began to fall that we were going to have a lot of displaced people and we were going to have to deal with it uh, right away. So our director of Homeland Security made the recommendation to the mayor, uh, we need to open up the George R. Brown. Um, they didn't do it at first, but then as the as we started to see the impacts, they, they went ahead and pulled the trigger on it. Um, we had just done an interim shelter exercise in June uh, down at the George R. Brown to, to make sure all those pieces were in place. And uh, we learned a few lessons from it, and they were implemented here. Um, I think what you're going to find, though, is in, in a, a disaster as big as this, your normal players, which for us was the health department and OEM, those were kind of the two big players in, in mass care and shelter, were then all of, all of a sudden kind of augmented and in many cases superseded by other departments that all of a sudden now were, were tasked with the role. So our director of housing ended up taking over the shelter at the George R. Brown. That that was just because of the the amount of of activity we had to literally surge city employees in that had nothing to do with health department or OEM were yeah. available. Um, one of the things that I think really shows the spirit of the city is that uh, our HR director sent an email out to all 22,000 city employees that said we need volunteers at the Toyota Center. They had to turn city employees away. They had too many volunteers and not enough uh, stuff for them to do. So it was, um, you know, it's kind of a good problem to have. But uh, I, in, that really kind of shows the way that that this thing worked out really comes down to the people who who stepped up to uh, to help their neighbors when it when it came down to it. That's very cool. Um, I, I know Joe's probably got a couple questions, but I just want to ask you to since <laughs> I have never. Um, I'm <laughs> Joe is Joe on? Yeah, Joe's here. He's been very quiet. I'm I'm quite surprised by this. Um, I have uh, I I have sort of a plan for you know if 
a disaster or something strikes the family, you know, what to do with the family or whatever. Never actually had to implement any of this. So as as uh, two, you know, two people have just gone through actually having to put your personal family plan, evacuation plan in place and or or your uh, shelter in place, you know, kind of plan together. How did how did your personal plan work? And then what lessons can you learn from that that you're going to modify for, you know, the next plan that you have? Because, you know, Michael, you've got a young one uh, under, you know, under five, younger. And then, you know, Robin, yours are yours are a little bit older, but still, you know, you've got little kids to have to deal with and, you know, entertaining them or all special, you know, you know, types of food. My kid only well, eats you know, certain types doing of food. It. Robin's doing it right. His kids are in such good shape that they can carry mom and dad <laughs> down the street for like six miles. If they have to. There, there is a reason he's having them do triathlons. You know, he's getting them set for all types of things. Yeah. But no, so I'm just curious, like what, how you guys, uh, you know, how everything went with, with you. So let's start with just Robin. Like, how was your personal plan? Was it, did you have one? I'm assuming you have one. We all sort of have yes. one. But, yes, we have one. Yeah. Oh, no, the personal plan is, is really handed over to Megan and she takes care of it. And I, <laughs> I disappear for a couple of days so, uh, and, and I'm pretty sure that's as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we started, when we started recognizing that this thing was going to be a threat, um, kind of, you know, we ran through the checklist again of where, where are we at? What's our status food wise and, and, you know, flashlights and batteries and things like that. And the, the interesting thing was we knew, I think we knew kind of the whole time, even though we had a weird, uh, forecast for this, um, that this was not going to be a hurricane hitting us. It really was going to be a long-term flooding event. So how do you get prepared for a long-term flooding event and, and what do you need to do? Um, you know, Houston is based around Houston's evacuation city. Yeah. Um, but those evacuations are based around wind and storm surge, not, um, flooding, um, especially not like street flooding, like we were kind of looking at. So, once we knew it was going to be kind of a flooding event, we're like, you know, we're just going to, have to stay in place. Our, we knew where our house was in the floodplain. Um, we were very fortunate. We never lost, you know, power. Um, so I didn't have any communication problems with Megan the entire time. I was able to just, you know, we get busy with each other and just kind of, you know, the, the thumbs up emoji and a question mark. And then you get the thumbs up emoji back and it was basically I'll talk to you in a couple hours. So we check in with each other. But, I mean, she was, she was the rock star of this whole thing. I was only able to do my job because I knew that they were safe at home. Um, that whole night of, of Saturday night, uh, I think of when, when the first outer bands were hitting, we were getting tornado warnings. We got, you know, it was like a record, record number of tornado warnings in, in a 24 hour period. Um, it was constant. It was like it, there, you, you would turn around to put something out about one and then there would be two more that would pop up on two different sides of town. It was crazy. Yeah. And the ones like over our line, they, they were just kind of in the same place because this band just kept running up uh, one particular line. So I was just constantly texting her just back and forth like, yep, this warning is for you. Make sure you're getting in the shelter and everything like that. Um, but but our plan worked. Um, you know, they were they were safe. They were good. Um, there wasn't a concern, but we kind of, you know, we're going to go back and uh, – just like we're going to do lessons learned for our hospital, we're going to go back and do lessons learned from the house. What is it that we didn't have that we needed? You know, Megan went through and started looking at what are the people that are friends that, that did get flooded, you know, making sure that our critical uh, papers are not just in the fire safe ready to go, um, but they're also in a Ziploc bag inside the fire safe ready to go. I, yeah. Uh, 
That's, that's now, how smart. far how far into the storm did your family have to move, Matt? Michael. Michael. Oh, sorry. Um, so <laughs> we're lucky. My in-laws. My in-laws. My in-laws live about ten minutes away, and so uh, what I did is actually uh, our plan is for the big one. Uh, as I put her on a plane and she goes to Phoenix with my parents, because that's really for me the easiest thing is just to know that they're not in the way. This one was not, this was not a direct hit for us. This was going to be a rain event. We knew it was going to be a rain event. We knew that that was the, the situation. Um, so what we did, decided is I decided I'm going to have her hunker down with her parents because at least, number one, there's a second story. So if they did end up with flooding, they would have a place to go. Sure. Um, and, uh, and then the, the second part of that was that she wouldn't be alone. And that there would be someone there to help with with Luca, because having a two year old by yourself for more than like six hours makes you pretty much just, you know, want to pull all of your hair out. So um, I wanted to make sure she was she had some support that way. So um, she had both her parents here as well. Um, That being said, like Robin alluded to, when those tornado warnings were, were dropping, for some reason, they all ended up being right on top of her. So we were, um, we, we had identified a room in, in her mom's house and said, this is where you need to go if we end up with a tornado warning. And so I told her and, and two or three times she actually had to pull Luca out of bed, which for that kid is not a happy thing <laughs> and kid. put him in, in the room with her, uh, you know, while, while she waited out that, uh, those tornado warnings. So I did actually have a friend, um, who the tornado touched down about. 250 to 250 feet from behind his house. So when I saw the, the, the tour drop and then I started seeing the, um, the reports from the sheriff's office saying that there was a tornado on the ground at this intersection, I called them right away and told them, you need to get inside. And he goes, Michael, you've trained us well. We've been inside the bathroom for three hours. Was that over by Tompkins High School? This was by um, this was off of West and Barker Cypress. So this is okay. over by Cypher, Lone Star Cypher. Yeah, yeah, up there. Okay. What was interesting yeah. was, you know, we had a lot of friends. In fact, we had we had friends that uh, that um, Michael's house is, is a little farther northern than mine, and uh, but we had a touchdown a tornado touchdown near us. And what was kind of interesting, you know, since y'all uh, being being EMTs, y'all get the alarm fatigue. After a while, you hear that same beep going off. After a while, you're like, okay. Hey, I know what it is. It's no big deal. That's what happened. That was that many tornado warnings in a night that, that talking with friends of ours, it became, it became alarm fatigue. I'm not mm-hmm. going into the shelter again. If, if we hear the, if we hear the winds really pick up, we'll go in, but I'm just, I'm tired of it. I can't keep doing it. And that was, I mean, that was all night long. It was a, it was about a 24 hour period of just tornado warnings. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. With all the uh, swift water rescues and the Coast Guard rescues and and house fires that we were seeing video of and firefighters can't get to the can't get to hydrants and they can't get to the fires. What's the morale like of, of their first responders in your area uh, today? You know, that's a that's a hard question to, to answer. Um, a lot of these guys worked, I mean, worked their their tails off. And unfortunately, we did have a police sergeant who lost his life on his way uh trying to get get to his duty station um that night he his vehicle was was uh submerged and and unfortunately he did pass away we also had a city public works employee who was trying to get to uh the street and drainage shop so that he could help prep some vehicles for high water rescue and he he passed away as well so um you know anytime you have a, a line of duty death that's the 
it really drags down the the morale. Uh, but I think what what we found is is that these guys, you know, for a lot of a lot of these guys, they really they live for these moments because these are the moments when people really really help, need their help and they and they really uh, get an opportunity to help their community. Yeah. You know, it's not the cats out of the tree and it's not the check the water flow alarm call. It's it is a you know really people needing their help and and so a lot of these guys really had a had an opportunity to do that. Um, there was a couple at my church this morning that was talking about their experience um, in front of the whole whole uh, you know uh, whole church, and they said he got the, this guy was helping his neighbors get out while his house was flooded, but he had a boat and he was trying to help his neighbors get out, and he was getting so tired. And he says, "I've never been so happy to see the United States Coast Guard," and a Coast Guard you know boat was coming right down his street, um, and and he 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 looked at the guy and he said. Uh, I can't do this anymore. I don't think I have the strength to do this anymore. And the Coast Guard guy looked at him and said, are you kidding me? We live for this. <laughs> so for them, this was, you know, this was an opportunity for them to 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 do what they do and do it well. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that these guys get a break. Um, there, there haven't been a whole lot of breaks lately for them. Um, but uh, I'm hoping that as as we start getting into more of the recovery mode, um, we're starting to see less and less of the uh, the first responders needing that that direct support. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned it, uh, Luca didn't like getting uh, woken up to go to the, the safe room and all of that. Uh, how's Luca doing now? You know, adjusted, you know, knowing that there was a storm, like, or not even yeah. phase, like, it's just a, it was just a couple crappy nights of sleep and, and moved on. <laughs> I wish, I wish I could tell you it was just a couple crappy nights of sleep and, and he's moved on, but it's definitely affected him. Um, you know, we haven't been home and he hasn't been home yet. Uh, yeah. We don't really plan on bringing him home. All of our sheetrock is up two feet. Uh, all of our cabinets are out. Our carpet is out. All of our built-ins are out. All of the furniture is on the second story. So uh, the house is a total disaster. And so just from a psychological perspective, when you're that young, he doesn't really fully understand that. You know, we have a we have a six-foot pile of debris in front of our house. And every other house has it right now. So... For us, we don't really want to bring him there. So what he has, we can definitely tell that he knows something is up. Um, he has not been sleeping well. It's been two or three times a night that he gets up screaming um, and wanting, you know, wanting someone to go lay with him. And you gotta understand, my wife is a uh, was a sleep coach. So for her, it's like no, you know, he does not <laughs> does not get to have someone sleep with him. But it hasn't mattered the last week. It's been, you know, either her or me at some point uh, sleeping in a bed with him because he's he's definitely having a, a rough time adjusting. We're hoping that as we get into a better pattern now that he's going back to daycare and he's getting into a pattern that, you know, he'll adjust to his new normal and things will things will feel a little bit better. So I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought about I mean, I should have, but I didn't not showing him the pile of debris in front of the house and how his room may not be there or things look different, um, yeah. you know has in your professional capacity have you all provided resources to parents on that kind of stuff is that a standard kind of package that you put out after a disaster like this yeah so we worked a little bit yeah so uh we were contacted about a year ago from the disaster distress hotline which is um run by the the samsa the substance abuse and mental health services services yeah yeah um, and so we've been promoting that. Um, we know, especially I can, and I can just tell you as a, as a disaster survivor, you run on adrenaline, like the first two weeks, it's like, okay, we got to do this. We got to pull the sheetrock. We got to do this or that. 
And then now you're, you're just tired <laughs> and you're starting to set in, you know, I, I had a, on our, our website um, that we, we launched for the recovery, HoustonRecovers.org, in case you want to, you know, take a look. <laughs> we'll put that um, in the show notes. Um, the, uh, the, we had a photo up there and it was, I just used a photo of our house with the debris pile in front of it. I had to, I had to take that photo down. I had to find a stock photo, a FEMA stock photo. I was like, I can't, I can't keep looking at my house and sure. looking at, you know, Luca's stroller and, um, you know, the, the box of the, you know, I, I worked before a gift I got from my, my previous boss and stuff that was, that are sitting out in front of my house. And, uh, and so that's, that's one of those things. Uh, one of the things that I really, I'm trying to find a way to class to message this in a classier way, um, is, is these are, this is not a spectator sport, you know, you showing up, I had some guys show up in front of my house with, um, you know, a GoPro and they're like sitting there doing a selfie thing while narrating the devastation of Harvey. And I'm like, who are you? Like, get out of my neighborhood. You know, like this is, this isn't, this isn't a spectacle. This is my house. This is, this is my stuff. This is my, my child's toys that have to be thrown out now. This is all the work that we've done, you know, to buy this house and to keep it up. And it's all sitting in front of here. It's not a spectacle spectacle. Uh, I have had people drive by and videotape, you know, just roll the windows down and just videotape as they're coming through our neighborhood. I'm like, I don't know. I, the, if I if I write it right now, it's going to be really sassy, and so I think I'm going to have to have uh, one of my other PIOs write it to see if they can make it sound a little more uh, professional. You can you is, can send us a, a that... you can send us the guest post, and we'll put the sassy version on our website, <laughs> so you can get that out there. We can do yeah, that. Yeah, send us the first draft. So, yeah, send us so the first draft. I'm also we'll... I'm also the VP of the Homeowners Association, so I'm that guy, <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, we had a, um, I won't mention the name of the company, but it's a very large pest control company. Okay. Mm. And homeboy walks up to the house and he says, what's your mold remediation plan? And I just looked at him and I said, you're in a deed restricted community. It's enforceable by affidavit. Leave now or I'm calling the sheriff's office. <laughs> and I was so over it. And, and I've never seen a guy in you know, slacks run that fast. He was just <laughs> bolting out of the community because he knew I was serious. I also at one point had a, had a sign in front of my house that said looters will be shot. So I think probably <laughs> thought it was a little scarier than it was. Yeah, but see, that sign he probably didn't believe. The deed-restricted neighborhood, that one he knew. You oh. knew your stuff, and that is a serious oh, yeah. gentleman right there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and Robin, and I know yours are now going to be going back to school. Is, are are the kids doing okay? Uh, I mean, they're going to... I think because right, right after it kind of stopped raining, um, we were very quickly, Megan was very quickly able to get them into areas where we were able to volunteer. And a lot of that was through social media stuff, mm -hmm. Facebook posts and things like that. Oh, hey, these guys need this. You know, donations to Megan to go buy pet supplies to go drop off at shelters and, and things like that. Um, you know, you, you met our foster dog. Um, these are the things like immediately Megan did a really good job of getting them into an area where they could start helping and not feeling like they were just sitting around and, and couldn't go play with their friends. Um, so that was a really cool thing. They were able to get up and go do stuff. You know, we, we unfortunately had some friends um, that their house is still, well, I think it's now finally drained of water is down in the Canyon Gate neighborhood. So when they show some of the massive, massive flooding, that was one of the areas um, off the Barker Reservoir. Um, 
they initially didn't flood. And then a couple days later, all of a sudden they were having to evacuate their kids out um, on a raft and their kids are, are saying, you know, the, their youngest is the same age as, as Taylor and their uh, oldest is a little bit older than Caden. So these are, you know, these are school age kids that are very much comprehending what's going on of having to be evacuated out of chest deep water yeah. um, just to get to somewhere. And so they've been hanging out with them a lot, just trying to do stuff to, to hang with their, their friends uh, that may have been a little bit more impacted than they were. Yeah. Yeah, they're at the age where they're able to keep busy and go do different things. So I think that's, a, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's smart that they you were able to get them out to do that. So that's really cool. Uh, and also, again, tying it back into the social media aspect, you know, that's a good way, a, a good tool to use for those who have no tie to an EOC, who have no tie to some sort of response effort. But you can... You, Anybody these days can type in a hashtag or a pound symbol. How old you are? How old you are depends on what you want to call it. But you can type. I'm sorry, was that a hash? What a hashtag? Yeah, the tic tac toe sign. Yeah. yeah. Pardon them, Michael. They seem to think I have an accent, and Montanans don't have accents, so I don't know what they are even <laughs> talking about. Bag and bag are the exact same word, just an A and an E. They sound exactly alike. Anyways. Hey, I'm- and I still put the the in front of highways and get made fun of out here, so <laughs> you can't win. No, never. Um, but so, you know, anybody can, anybody, if you're able to and you're able to do it, anyone can put in a hashtag and can go look to find out who needs resources. And that's a good way to keep, you know, the kids involved and keep the kids engaged because school's most likely going to be closed. Uh, if the school can organize something, they probably will. But that was pretty smart of Megan to kind of do that and to track that out and find something to keep them busy till school starts. So, I mean, I think that's really neat. I think the other thing part of that is is the worst thing that you can do and, and in, in all emergency communication messaging is you have to empower people. It ha- You have to feel like they can be part of something that empowers them. The worst thing you can try to do is scare the crap out of people into doing something that doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, the, you know, Chapman university out in uh, orange California does a, a whole series of research on, on risk communication and preparedness communication. And the number one they come, thing they come back with every year is you can't scare people into anything, but if you can motivate them to be part of the solution, you can reduce anxiety, you can reduce stress. It, it empowers people to, you know, take control of their situation. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a great testament, uh, you know, what Megan did to, to get the kids involved, because rather than them sitting there continuing to watch the news about how bad it was, they were now part of the solution. Um, Mr. Rogers did a thing um, with with kids. There's a, a kind of an old quote about, you know, he was sitting with a kid and, and there were all these things going on and uh, all these uh, uh, this big emergency was happening. And the kid was asking Mr. Rogers about the emergency. And he goes, well, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the helpers. Look at all the helpers. And so that was his way of kind of changing the dynamic mentally and saying, you know, yes, there's something bad happening, but look at all the good that's happening because of it. I so and I think we have very careful about the way that we message this is, you know, empower communities to help. Um, and don't don't get the don't you know scare everybody back inside their doors because that's that's counterproductive to what you want. No. And really, you have to use the the 
emotional energy that exists right now. We've got all of these nonprofit organizations that came into Houston and they're they're promising all these things about how they're going to be here for years and years. And then Irma happens. And all of a sudden, everyone's looking around and going, where did everybody go? Because everybody you know, decided that Florida was next. And so that was the next big place for all the woo-woos to gather. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be on everyone in the neighborhoods and to remember to help out their neighbors you know you may get some of your stuff together but help out your neighbors uh you know going to houstonrecover.org uh you know find out ways for for people to jump in on that to help out there um you know again yeah you it's a, it's weird. Everything seems to happen in threes. You've got, you know, Harvey, wildfires, Irma. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't know what else can happen, but there's probably something else that can. So, Jose. I, Jose. What's, what was the other one? There's what's the one more. Katya. Uh, Katya. Katya. Oh, Katya. Katya. Hit Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Mexico. But yeah, I mean, after I think. Earthquake the, hit after the earthquake exact same hit spot. Mexico. Yeah. Air earthquake <laughs> in Mexico. Yeah. But just to circle back on that, about the sort of nonprofits moving off to Florida, unfortunately, as frustrating as I'm sure that is for folks in Houston, there's also going to be tremendous need in Florida, too, at the same time. So some of that, uh, unfortunately, is probably going to be because there's going to be two big parts of the country right now that are going to be needing a lot of help moving forward. And so, yeah, it's real. I mean, it's tough. And I think that for folks that are sitting in other parts of the country you know, do a little bit of Googling, do some research. Hopefully we can help get out some information too about there are ways that you can, you know, even if this organization or that organization is in boots on the ground right now, there are ways that you can continue to help. Uh, well, and it's also, every- you know, it's a long-term thing. It's not a short-term thing. You know, mucking right. out is the first step. So right. one of the things that the mayor has done is he's, uh, the mayor and the county judge set up a, a recovery fund to be able to be basically have a grant making process for the future for the long term recovery of the region. So groups like Catholic Charities or Seventh Day Adventist or United Way, uh, well, not United Way, but but the United Way Charities uh, will apply for grants and get those. So, again, you can donate at visiting HoustonRecovers.org. <laughs> HoustonRecovers.org. Uh, sounds very familiar. I, I'm going to probably dream about that tonight. I, you know, but it's important that everybody in Houston help out with. Hey, I dream about recovery, Dan. This is an important thing to help other people, help your fellow neighbor. Come on, you know that. Disaster Nation. He's just staring at me like I should have probably just stopped talking about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so, you know, it's important. Um, don't forget about what's going on. We, uh, you know, hope that you guys continue to do well that michael that your house continues to to get you know rebuilt and recover there and and you know you're keeping busy with your day job and hopefully your night job of fixing up the house doesn't uh doesn't take too much energy out of you and you're still able to go out and play because uh two goes by very quickly and i'm still dealing with a screaming four-year-old and i'm kind of wishing for the two-year-old so you know (laughs) we can see how that goes but um do any of the dads have any final questions? Because we're coming up on just about an hour now. Uh, and, you know, uh, any questions from anybody? I'm looking around. This Rob, is- how, how did three times feel, Robin? <laughs> Man, this whole hour went by so fast. I mean, it's. <laughs> I'm going to try and get on two guests next time. We'll bring Michael and then another guest. We'll bring Francisco on. Oh, geez. 
you know, we are, we're very thankful, uh, Michael, that you're able to join us uh, to talk about some of your experience professionally, then also personally, some of the stuff that you had to go through. We're, you know, um, hopeful that you're able to get it all taken care of. And, and, you know, uh, we, I don't know. I, I would say ask us for help, but it's going to be hard for us to probably get down there to help out. But we might be able to. So we, we'll do what we can to help you out. Fun at HoustonRecovers.org. <laughs> Perfect. What was, it? Like what was that it. website again? Uh, were you talking what website? Oh yeah, HoustonRecovers.org. That's you know it's very familiar. I like it. Um, so again, thank you very much for joining us. I hope um, hope everything goes well. Uh, enjoy the time with the in laws, um, but hopefully it's not too long. Um, yeah. but it's nice that they're there, <laughs> there to help out. And then thank you, Robin, for joining us again. Love it. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad that you're spreading the gospel of the disaster dads to, uh, other people. You know, the fact that Michael sort of had heard of us, that's a step in the right direction. So now we have like four. I view that as a tremendous victory. Yeah. We actually even had this week, someone engaged us on Twitter and said that, oh yeah, we've been unrelated to any of us. We don't know who they are. And I like <laughs> that part too. So that was awesome. <laughs> the, the random yeah. randomness of this um but so no thank you robin i'm glad everyone's doing well there um and you know we always love to have you on and so we're gonna have to have you on for one that doesn't involve you know you know our regular type of topics we'll get you on for a movie review michael if you if you want to do a movie review we've been trying to watch sharknado 4 but no one really wants to watch it with me so i don't know what well, we're I like gonna do volcano. that's where the emergency manager is in charge of everything <laughs> there well, we go we do you have, have any thoughts, on, do you have any thoughts on the on list Twister before we let you go? 14 hours on what? Any thoughts on the movie Twister before we let you go? Uh, no, I have no comment. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> we're, we're still talking like a true PIO. <laughs> That's a great movie. It was worth buying. I still say that every time it shows up in my queue, then I go to watch it. It's all there. But you know, again, thank you very much. I'd like to thank the dads for joining us all. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Robin and Michael for joining us. Thank you very much. Um, and, you know, with that, we panic so you don't have to. Everyone, stay safe. Bye. <laughs>